Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. created us for intimacy with himself, but we struggle in our movement towards that intimacy, longing for something more. This is The Soul Struggle with Janet Gosman, helping you identify the struggle, what brought you there, and how to move through it towards the intimacy with God our soul longs for. Welcome to The Soul Struggle. I am Janet Gosman. I am a biblical counsel, counselor, and an international speaker. I received my Bible and counseling degrees from Multnomah Bible College and Western Seminary, Seattle. In previous broadcasts, we have looked at the soul struggles that focused on the relationship between ourselves and Jesus Christ. But this struggle is different. On today's broadcast, we will be looking beyond the us and toward the them. This is the soul struggle of loving others. When asked what was the greatest commandment, Jesus replied, To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Half of the greatest commandment is to love others. So how do we love others? The normal thing would be to help someone who is ill or facing a tragedy or crisis. God refers to this as compassion. It is a pity of the heart that moves us to action when we recognize another is overwhelmed by circumstances and needs help. However, there are a good number of us who would rather stay comfortable and not get involved. We don't push aside our schedule for the other, and we miss our opportunity to have an eternal influence. Isaiah 58, 7 says... We are to share our food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, and when we see the naked, to clothe him. Chuck Colson, in his book Loving God, states, Jesus demonstrated in his ministry a deep compassion for the suffering and forgotten. He fed the hungry, healed the lame, gave sight to the blind. He was concerned not only with saving man from hell in the next world, but delivering him from the hellishness of this one. Thus the Son reflected the Father's passion for mercy and justice. Matthew twenty-five thirty-one to 46 talks about what God will say at the judgment. Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. 
I was in prison and you came to visit me. When the blessed asked, when did we do this? Jesus replied, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. There are many of us who say, but I don't know how or where to get involved. God's desire is that we join him in making a difference in this broken world. Often he puts within our soul what might be called a holy discontent. I will share the story of a man who had a holy discontent and stepped in to make a difference. His name was Moses. Moses was a Hebrew raised by Pharaoh's daughter in the Egyptian palace, but he knew he was a Hebrew. One day he took a walk, observing the building projects being erected on the sweat of his own people. He saw an Egyptian taskmaster beating one of the Hebrew slaves. He became angry and grabbed the taskmaster and killed him. Then he quickly buried him so no one would know. Later, he saw two of his own people beating each other, and it broke his heart, for they had now become violent against each other. So he tried to separate them, and they accused him of desiring to kill one of them, just like he had killed the Egyptian taskmaster. So Moses ran away to the desert. He was afraid for his own life. But God saw the heart of a man whose heart was broken for the slavery of his own people, just as God's own heart was broken over their slavery. And so he called Moses to accomplish the freeing of his people from the slavery of Egypt. Moses had what is called a holy discontent, and it changed his life. Bill Hybels, in his book, Holy Discontent, explains it this way. I've come to refer the powerful spiritual congruence that connected Moses' priorities to the priorities of God as his holy discontent. And it's a concept that works in our modern world as well. Still today, what wrecks the heart of someone who loves God is often the very thing God wants to use to fire them up to do something that under normal circumstances they would never attempt to do. Whether you're a high high-powered marketplace person, a stay-at-home mom, a full-time student, or something altogether different. You, yes, you, can join God in making what is wrong in this world right, and it all starts with you finding your holy discontent. It begins with you determining what it is that you just can't stand that is wrong in the world. So how did God accomplish this amazing feat of freeing his people from slavery in Egypt through Moses? We notice that God didn't just take Moses while he was in the palace and command him to free the people. No, God prepared Moses. First, Moses needed to see the deprivation and the pain of his own people. When he observed their pitiable plight, the abuse and oppression, something gripped his soul. He was angry that his own people would be treated in such an inhumane way. Moses had experienced a holy discontent within his soul. Next, this brought Moses into a crisis of choice. Remain in the comfort of the palace and the pleasures offered with that position or align himself with his people who were slaves. Moses chose to align himself with his own people. He decided to leave his comfort. And where did that lead him? Not to any notoriety. He ran to the desert. 
He was estranged from the very people he had lined himself with. He lived there for 40 years and was 80 years old when God called to him out of a burning bush that would not burn up. When God called Moses and spoke to him about leading his enslaved people out of their slavery to a promised land, Moses made excuses as to why he couldn't do this. He stated that he couldn't speak. He was not eloquent and was slow of speech and tongue. Moses tried to excuse himself to God as being unqualified and inadequate. He saw himself as unfit for the mission. There are those of us who also do not feel qualified or adequate to meet any of the needs of a broken world. Some of us sense an uncomfortable self-consciousness that settles in and almost paralyzes us when we find ourselves in a large gathering. We even hesitate to move toward another person and engage them in conversation. There were many times I felt this way. I would be very uncomfortable and anxious in a large gathering. People would be standing together in groups, and though I was physically present, I felt like I was on the outside looking in. It was interesting to me that others could so easily converse and engage others in interesting conversation. I felt alone in a crowd. But I began to examine myself this area, and I asked God to shine his light on my life. I discovered that this anxiety was because my focus was about me and my own comfort. This was not only a self-consciousness, it was a self-centeredness. What could I do to change this? Then I felt God telling me that others felt the same way. Really? Yes. Surely there are those in any group that feel uncomfortable and alone. So I began to look for that one individual who stood alone. I deliberately made myself move toward that person. And when I, what I found was that as I hesitantly entered into conversation, asking basic questions about them, I began to get to know the person. We often found areas of a likeness and enjoyment that we could relate about. This increased my sense of self-confidence. You can probably guess that previous to this time, I had done no public speaking. I share this in order for you to have an example of how God can change us into what he created us for. Everything I do for the kingdom now was inside me all that time. I was just too self-focused to step out. God had to do his preparation work within me, four years of depression, years of dissatisfaction with life, anxieties, and crisis. But God will not waste wilderness years. God wants to use every piece of what we've been through in order to prepare us for the good work he has already prepared for us to do, according to Ephesians 2.10. My wilderness experience opened my heart to those who struggle with depression and anxiety. I understand those feelings of helplessness and hopelessness. During those years, though, there was a deep longing for something more. My heart cried out to make a difference. I didn't want to spend my one life watching TV or doing hobbies or just filling my time. I had a longing to step out for Jesus. I just didn't know how or what or where I was stuck. I began seeking his face constantly to guide me. 
John Ortberg shares in his message, You Must Get Out of the Boat, the scene in Matthew where the disciples are in the middle of a storm on the Sea of Galilee. They are frantically rowing toward the shore. Jesus, in the middle of the storm, comes, wa- comes walking toward the disciples on the water. They think it is a ghost and become frightened, scared out of their wits. But Jesus assures them it is he. Peter asks Jesus if he can come to him, and Jesus says, Come. Peter gets out of the boat. When he gets out of the boat, he has the absolute thrill of walking on the water. Peter walked on top of the water, but he had to get out of the boat. Ortberg says, If you get out, you might sink. Disaster. If you don't get out of the boat, you'll never walk on water. Following Jesus will always be a choice, a choice between comfort or growth. All the disciples stayed in the boat. Only Peter knew the joy and excitement of walking on the water. Is there a deeper gnawing within your soul as there was in mine, but you don't know how to get out of the boat? I'd like to share more of my own story. About a year after moving to Oregon, my husband had begun his own business. My other two sons were grown with one son in elementary school, and I had time on my hands. I longed to use my life for something meaningful that might make a difference in the kingdom of God. I had a holy discontent. I just didn't know what it was. I did have a concern for the rights of the unborn, innocents who had no voice of their own. And when our church announced a need for counselors at our Pregnancy Resource Center, with the center providing the training, I volunteered. This began the journey of my own holy discontent. God tells us in Proverbs 31.8 that we are to speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. I really enjoyed working with the girls that came to the center. Then one day, the general director told me I was good at this. I really didn't think I was good at anything in particular, and actually felt that when it came to gifts and talents that somehow I had been left out, but evidently I was good at this. Later, there was an additional opportunity to receive specialized counselor training focusing on abuse issues. I had the time, and I enrolled in the training. My heart was breaking as I heard examples of women struggling with identity problems, social issues, damaged relationships, and suicidal thoughts, all because they had suffered at the hands of abuse in their early years and often into adulthood. This became my holy discontent. The psychologist over the center asked me to work under him. It was challenging, and I was enjoying the opportunity and experience. It soon became apparent, however, that I really needed more education than my one year of college. This was a challenge for me, as I had never particularly enjoyed school. However, after enrolling and beginning classes at Multnomah Bible College, I was soon loving my classes, taking every counseling class available. Upon graduation with my bachelor's degree, I began my studies at Western Seminary Seattle and graduated with my master's degree in counseling specializing in abuse issues. I already had clients, and my practice grew by word of mouth. God is looking throughout the earth 
for men and women whose hearts break over what his heart breaks over, abuse, abortion, homelessness, children dying from starvation, people groups having never known about Jesus, disease that could be prevented in third world countries, and all this accompanied by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you have a holy discontent? Is there something inside you that says this isn't right? Someone should do something? What is disturbing your soul? I stepped out of the boat by becoming a volunteer, and there are many organizations that would love to have volunteers. This was just the beginning of my walking on the water journey. God is looking for someone to reach out and touch the broken, the hurting, and the impoverished in a broken world. It is when we find ourselves involved in something greater than ourselves that life takes on purpose and meaning. One person can make a difference. You can make a difference. Moses made a difference. God isn't looking for your expertise or abilities or adequateness. He is looking for one person who will say, Here I am. Use me. And then we'll step out. Chuck Colson tells several stories in his book, Loving God. Many are, of the stories are about one person who made a difference. He tells the story of the shadow people. These people had loved ones in the Missouri State Penitentiary in Jefferson City. Few families visit these men, and the few whose families do visit have the best chance of staying out of prison once they are released. But those who did come to visit came from miles away. Most of them lived on welfare checks, and if they used up their meager funds just getting to Jefferson City, they certainly couldn't afford to pay for lodging or food. So they invented ways to pass the night under a bridge or women with their children in the car parked under one of the many bridges hoping they wouldn't be bothered. Or like one woman, after getting off the bus at 2 o'clock in the morning and sneaking through a hotel lobby to the restroom, wedged herself and her six-month-old baby into a bathroom stall, hoping to remain undiscovered. These shadow people had no place to sleep, a warm meal, or a place to shower and change clothes. The city considered them a nuisance, a necessary evil. A group of concerned individuals from some of the area churches and civic or organizations began wondering what they could do to help these obviously needy people. Ultimately, a hospitality house named Agape House was established in an old rooming house two blocks from the penitentiary. Without money, detailed studies, proposals, conferences, or government grants, the people of God reached out to these poor the board members knew that creating their house of love was more than a matter of appearance. Scripture verses on the walls would not bring Scripture alive. The home would live up to its name as a house of love only if the people who ran it lived up to its name. And so, on November 2, 1980, Mildred Taylor welcomed the first guests to Agape House, warmly offering them New Testaments along with clean sheets and towels and room keys. Clean smells and cooking aromas filled the old house. New sounds, too, women talking, laughing, crying, people playing, children playing and giggling. 
Later, two women offered their time and served in this hospitality house, sharing the house's one small apartment. They would rise every morning at 5 o'clock to pray and study the Bible. The rest of the day, they responded to the needs around them, gathering soiled linens, emptying garbage, cleaning bathrooms, keeping finances straight, buying supplies and registering guests, and they would keep their apartment door open. We're in the business of planting seeds. We don't know when a lot of them will be harvested, but that's God biz- God's business. They wanted to provide love and care, not calculated results. They are loving God and loving people. One weekend guest wrote after her stay, Dear Sister Mildred, I told you how much staying at your house meant to me, but I did not tell you the most important thing. I read the Bible you gave me the very first night, but was too sick and heavy-eyed to finish. I had been trying to reaffirm my faith for months. I read more of the Bible and got to the page where you say the prayer to get saved, and I prayed and was washed clean of my sins. I prayed a lot before I went to sleep. I sang and praised God all the way home. The country had never looked so good. There was another woman. She was a retired hairdresser, and she had time on her hands. A friend invited her to go to the church's youth center to feed snacks to the homeless. Sandra said her first opinionated thought was, yeah, yeah, why don't these people get a job? She expected to see drunks, drug addicts, ugliness. Instead, she walked into a room where these poor homeless were sharing a paper plate of cookies with each other. They were actually breaking the cookies in half so that there would be enough. This was not what she expected. Her opinions changed as she interacted with them and discovered these people who had lost their jobs had lost everything, and it began to snowball. They couldn't make car payments. They had no ability to pay rent. Then it became impossible to get a job with no address. And while living on the street, their ID was stolen. So next time, she brought a bigger plate of cookies. And later, she asked the church, if she could have a room where she could bake cookies, and she was given permission for a larger room in use of the kitchen. Once people found out that she was sharing snacks with the homeless, they began to bring food. Free hoagie rolls came in, and a young man took her to Costco to buy what she needed, and it soon became not only snacks but a light lunch. Church people found out, and then a woman introduced her to Snowcap. Volunteers came to help and brought more food. So Sander now opens up at 4 o'clock p.m. for another meal of chili super stew. Her little bit of compassion has led to feeding 25 to 60 homeless people to 26 jobs and others going out into treatment. They often return and become volunteers. She gets hugs and I love yous. She said, We are just God's hands extended. I just stepped out not knowing what to expect, and God has done the unexpected. God simply asked me, 
are you willing? One woman stepped out of the boat and found her holy discontent. The world is a large place. Where does a person begin? We begin by asking God to bring people he desires to impact for eternity into your realm of influence. Realize that God has placed you where you live and view your placement as an externally focused divine opportunity to bless and serve your city. Where did Jesus serve? He focused on the margins of society, the lepers, the poor, the lost. It was the least, the last, and the lost. So how do we do this? How does a person begin to discover his holy discontent and where God may lead him? Number one, you ask. Pray seriously that God would give you a passion, that he would guide you into an area of holy discontent. Next, get out of your boat. Volunteer. Expose yourself to the area that is disturbing your soul or find an area of interest that would meet a need. Next, keep feeding your interest. Get involved and increase your exposure in that area. Number three, get into the battle. Do whatever it takes to make a difference. Number four, keep walking. Don't give up. Satan will attack and try to move you away from your holy discontent. Remember, every human being is annoying. We are all imperfect. If you're going to get involved with people, you will get annoyed. We may not like it, but this is the truth about life. We will either decide people are too much bother and live life in our own comfort, or we will choose to be involved with people supernaturally in order to impact impact them for eternity. My story began with a desire to be used by God in some way that would make an eternal difference. I stepped out of the boat by volunteering. Then God developed within me a holy discontent. That holy discontent has left, led me step by step on a journey with God's fingerprints all over it. If you had told me 30 years ago that I would be counseling, speaking internationally, as well as doing a radio broadcast, I would never have believed you. This is absolutely amazing. Yet it all began with stepping out of my comfortable life and asking God to use me in a way that would touch the world for the kingdom. I am every day amazed at what God has done. To me, it is almost unbelievable that he would take me, a woman who believed she didn't have much to offer, take me on a wilderness journey and give me a passion that ignites me almost every day. John Wesley, a well-known 18th century preacher, stated, Do all the good that you can, in all the ways that you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. One person yielded to God can make a difference in a broken world. Get out of your boat and discover your holy discontent. God's Good Creation, Day 4, Genesis. 
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.